Um, here we go. First of all, great to be back. Praise God. Love what's been going on, but it's good to be here too. Um, I want to say this is Father's Day, as most of you have probably figured out by now, and woohoo for that. So I went back and I kind of was thinking about Father's Day, and I tend to do something on Father's Day that I didn't really realize I was doing. Somehow on Father's Day, it feels to me like what we're supposed to do is kind of kick back. It feels like me standing up here on the stage. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but when I preach, I've usually got about half my foot off of the stage. And the reason is because it's like I want to come and just, whatever I can do, to just get this to you. You see what I mean? And that's kind of intense, you know? And I just kind of think, when I think of Father's Day, I think, and I've been doing this for the last several years. Like I said, I didn't even know I was doing it, but on Father's Day, it's more of the sit in the chair and just have a chat sermon. Okay? So it's more like a talk than it is that sort of more formal sermon. And this year I wanted to take it all the way. And that's why you got that funky little chair configuration that you've got, because here's what I'm doing. Particularly for dads, women, feel free to too, unless you, you know, but, but, but the idea is I want you to assume the position. Okay? I want you to assume the dad position. Okay, I noticed many guys have already got this figured out, and you already had your feet up, and you were ready to go see your shoes off, by the way. You know, shoes off if the person sitting in front of you doesn't have good smell, okay, all right? But I do want to say, what I would have loved to have done was got a whole bunch of these for you, you know what I mean, where there was the little fridge on the side and the remote and the phone and the, the you know what I mean, right? But, but I, do, I do want to make it clear, you know, you can get into this attitude anywhere, okay? All right? So if you can do it on the subway, I figure you can do it here in church, all right? So I, I really want us to kick back. By the way, a little, little tidbit, not of no value whatsoever, but just a little tidbit. Did you know that when a guy in particular, it, it happens to be more in male than female, I don't know why, but it's just the way that we're built. But did you know when a guy walks into a room, if he sits in a kind of a sprawled out manner, it actually releases chemicals in his brain that make him feel better. It, this is absolutely true. I'm not kidding you here. It's not confident people tend to sprawl out. It is literally anybody, any guy that comes in and sort of sprawls out when they sit somewhere, they release chemicals that make them feel better, that make them feel a little more in control, a little more confident. They just feel better. So, see, I'm trying to help you feel better today. So sprawl out, have fun, all right? Okay. We are going to be talking about something that is... I think it's going. It, it certainly is for every person here. It is Father's Day. There's a preacher. I, I was looking for a really good Father's Day video. I never could, never did find one. I did find an article. And Aaron, I love you, but we got to get Aaron a different chair right there. That's going to kill you by the end of the time, brother. Okay, we got to get you a better chair. Bring a chair up to the middle for those two guys. Can, ushers, can we grab two more chairs? And just bring them up for those two. Okay, we'll put them in the aisles. It's good. Okay. Yeah, oh. <laughs> Aaron, by the way, is going away for about three months, and I'm dying inside because this guy is phenomenal, so. I know. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, we need two chairs. There's two of them right there, right there. Well, run, one row back. Yeah, just go ahead and stick it in the middle and one more chair for him. And you might want to bring the other one. I don't know how you're going to do it, but somehow let's get her done for him, okay? All right. I just want to say this one preacher said, he said, he said, why is it that preaching calendars have to be subjected to Hallmark? You know, why is Father's Day and Mother's Day and Valentine's Day and all these Hallmark days, why are these sermon 
times. And, and I, I, you know, I thought about that for a little while, and I thought he had an interesting point, but honestly, he's just dead wrong. This is great. Okay, if we have a fire, nobody tells the marshal, okay? <laughs> just don't go down the middle aisle, okay? You guys go that way, all right? All right. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. This is perfect. <laughs> okay, sorry. We actually do have a sermon I'm getting to, but, but I just want to say, God is the one who sets up holidays throughout the year for a reason. He knows that we just tend to forget stuff because we get busy with other stuff. Now, those holidays that he set up have to do with remembering him. But I don't think in the proper spirit of things that he has any problem with us honoring fathers. Do you? I don't think he has any problem with us talking and being reminded that it's important to talk about fatherhood, motherhood, love, and valentines. Right? So that's what we're going to do today. And I just want to say... Um, Again, man, woman, child, all of us have a father, whether we knew him or not. I know that some people had terrible fathers and some people had great fathers. And the truth is, is everybody had some mixture of both. You know, some of us were fortunate to have quite a good father on balance. But every father makes mistakes, except the one, right? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a really foundational thing about what fatherhood is. And I'm telling you what my hope is, like a chat as opposed to a sermon, my hope is that by the time that we get done, that you'll have this warm thing inside about what fathering really is, and whether you had a good, bad, or an absent one, that you'll be feeling and living in that moment, rightly. See what I mean? It doesn't matter. It's not helpful, or, you know, there's all kinds of issues, but God can work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's where we're going to get today, okay? A redemptive moment and a moment to help us, okay? All right. So with that, oh, Bruce McCoy, what a great, this is, this is awesome, okay? You're going to get, you're going to get, uh, never mind, I can't say it. <laughs> it's a really Thank funny joke, but the filters are actually high today, so I won't say it. <laughs> Thank you, God, for filters. Um, uh, <laughs> And thank you, God, for this uh, really neat church uh, where we all get to come. Uh, first, I'll start by I'm praying for people <coughs> at home who can't, <coughs> can't get here, who want to be here. Um, and second of all, um, put in uh, Kurt's uh, words <coughs> the things that we need to hear uh, this morning. Um, it, it, we look around this church and see... Um, all of our friends that we get to uh, meet with every, every week when we come Thank here. You, and it's, it's a nice thing. That's what this church is all about. Um, it's a family here. Amen. We get to share uh, burdens and lift our concerns. So uh, with all that and uh, with Kurt uh, being the neat dad that he is uh, to this church and to his family, we ask that you strengthen him. Um, other churches um, mm -hmm. up the street is Westminster Chapel. Gary Gobranson's been Amen. there. 20 years today, so uh, that's neat. And Amen. back in um, Akron, New York, is the Methodist Church. Um, little church, and uh, we ask that you uh, bless this gathering this morning. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. He choked up because his wife, Kristen, has actually been having some problems, some pretty good, serious problems. So would you just pray with me for a second? Lord in Jesus' holy precious name, we come before you for our sister, and we ask you to heal her. We say, Kristen, be healed in Jesus' holy and precious name as only God can heal. And be healed completely, body, soul, and spirit. Be healed in Jesus' holy and precious name. I think of Jesus when the 
when he went to the army guy, and the army guy said, I'm not worthy that you come into my house. All you got to do is say it. So we've said it. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, Kristen, live in the healing of that. All right. So what we're going to do today, we're not doing Empowered today. Okay? That's our series that we've been doing, a mashup of 1 Corinthians and Luke. And what we've been doing is looking at how the Holy Spirit moves in the right way in Luke and how Paul had to correct it in Corinthians. And we've been learning a lot from that and so on. But it's Father's Day, and I didn't know, and I just went to the passage. And the funny thing is we're not an empowered, but we're right where we were in Luke. As God just keeps doing, and he's been doing this now for 15 years. You know, when we're doing a book, when it's a special day, it's one of the reasons I think we're supposed to be doing it, is God will bring us to a passage. And I'm telling you, when we get done looking at this passage, you're going to say, I don't think there, there might not be a better passage in the whole Bible for Father's Day than this one. It's not immediately obvious, but it will be pretty quickly. But the bottom line is, is there's this incredible passage, the best certainly in the Gospels, to preach on for Father's Day. And that just happens to be the passage we're at. We didn't plan this. We didn't do it. It's just we get to a certain place, ask God, ask God what he wants to do, and guess what? He's already been ahead of us. So I'm going to read you the entire passage because we're going to do, again, a little something different since this is a chat, not a sermon. And we're going to take it apart, but in a different way than we normally would. So let me just read you the passage right now. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, and this was the going to the temple and doing the things with Anna and with um, Simeon that Justine spoke about so brilliantly. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when they didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him around their, uh, among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them, asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. All right. Now, like I say, we're going to kind of do a hodgepodge of a personal story on me and for illustrative purposes and so on. And we're just going to kind of take this apart in a little different way as a chat. And so I just want to start with the one place that I just think is almost inconceivable, particularly with the way parenting is right now. I want to say, I think parenting right now is at a, almost an all-time high. The, the people that are raising kids right now, the way that you're raising kids, blow me away. I mean, the, the way that the dads, I think when, when the moms had to start working too and so on, and, and then the housework really did start to get divided up and all this kind of stuff, all the, the, the involvement with fathers in the family is extraordinary. And you probably have to go back to agri agrarian and herding and craftsman apprentice type days in order to have more involvement of the father in the lives, the daily lives in and out of the kids. I mean, people are still going off to work, so it's not as good as that agrarian, herding, shepherding, apprentice type thing. But the bottom line is, is that the dads are so deeply involved in their kids right now. It's not the mom stays home and takes care of the kids, and the dad does this because that's just all changing, right? I mean, it still happens to some extent, but you get my drift. And, and even then, if the mom is staying home, the, the degree to which the dads are involved is extraordinary, and it's wonderful and deeply beneficial, as we will see in this sermon. 
But having said that, I just want to then bring up the thing that's just shocking. The celebration was over, home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents didn't miss him until dinner. <laughs> I mean, that's just, has anybody done that with their kids? You know what I mean? I, <laughs> that's funny. Like I say, different generation, you know. But, but, you know, I did this one time, right? I, we, were, we were literally in the middle of nowhere. And I mean nowhere, it's like this, okay? I'm talking there was nothing there but a gas station. And that was only there so that people didn't die in the middle of nowhere, you know? And, and the bottom line is, is we pull into this little gas station, and, it, you know, it's old. It didn't have pay at the pump. So, you know, you all get out of the car, and everybody heads to the bathroom. And then, you know, you're filling up the gas, and then you go in, and you pick up some snacks, and you pay for your gas. And you know what I'm talking about, right? And then, you, and then so we get back into the car. Everybody here, that's great, all right. Take a, we take off. I'm telling you, we're at least five miles down the road before we figure out that Shalimar's not in the car. <laughs> now, she's seven years old. The other one's five at that point, Chappelle. She's seven years old. I mean, we forgot she's not in the car. It was National Lampoon vacation right there. It was like the wheel just, the car, you know what I mean? 120 miles an hour, boom, you know? And sure enough, we come pulling up there, and it was just devastating, I'm telling you. It was just, you saw this little girl, and she was, she was just, I mean, she was all alone. And she was looking down the highway, like, you know, my parents are gone, and my sister's gone, and my car's gone, and I'm alone. <laughs> I'm sure I paid for that in therapy a hundred times over. I mean, it's just tragic, you know what I mean? I mean, we're like the worst parents ever. Like the PTA sends the note home, you know, like, really? You know, you don't get this, really? You know, I mean, in today's day and age, you don't let your kids go to the bathroom alone, right? You do not do that anymore, right? Actually... Now, again, I think what dads are doing and everything else, and, I, and it, we have to realize where we live, right? We live in an in a urban metropolitan area, a bunch of different cities. In a, and, and anybody who's close enough to drive here, you don't have this. But I want you to think for a second. You know, Hillary Clinton got herself in all kinds of trouble because she said it takes a village to raise a child. Now, when she says that, the reason, well, what she meant was it's an old African proverb, and what it, what it means is this. In a, in a community where there's family and relations and extended family and, and the community, and it's small so that it's intimate, so that it's individualized, so that everybody knows everybody else well, that everybody does take, in that kind of a setting, people take on responsibility for helping people with their kids, and, and they're all part of it, right? And the kid is getting not just a mother and a father influence or a mother, father, and teacher or something. They're getting this entire range of different kinds of people, different strengths, different weaknesses fed into them, and it really is, may I say it this way, a better way to raise a child. Hillary did not get in trouble because the proverb was untrue. Hillary got into trouble, if I may, and speculation here, but Hillary got into trouble because she was inferring that government was able to be part of that village. And I think government can do good things. I realize that may be heretical in some circles, but I don't think government is all evil. I just think that they're really bad at being intimate and individualized, right? They're doing things in a more corporate way, so they do things in a more formulaic way. They do things in a more programmatic. They're going to get sued if they do individualized. They're just not good 
at what the actual child needs. They're good at the average child needing something like this. See what I mean? So there was, it felt intrusive that this uncaring or unintimate, un, you see, not individualized, was in, and I'm not, this isn't about politics, so I'm not going there. But the bottom line is, is, is I just want to tell you, I grew up in a little town, 3,000 people, Thermopolis, Wyoming, and this place was protected by the mountains, and, you know, I mean, it was a community. It was, it took a village to raise a kid. I, we had, there were five brothers, and from the time that I can remember, which would have been about, what, five years old is when you start getting memories you can actually remember, from five years old on, I don't remember doing anything but just whatever I wanted to. Literally, the swimming pool was all the way across town, across a highway. And I remember, you know, we wanted to go swimming. We just hopped on our banana bikes. Remember the banana bikes? We hopped on our banana bikes, and we rode down to the pool. And it was a couple of miles away. And we're like five, seven, eight years old. I do want to make it clear now, there was no shortage of hospital visits. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I remember being in the car with my brother when he fell off of his banana bike, going to the pool, and there's this big old deep V, and he's still got the scar from it. But, you know, bruises heal, bones men, and chicks dig scars. So, you know, it works out all right. Okay? So, you know, the bottom line is, is, is that we just, I, the one thing that we did, the only time that we congregated, just like in Jesus' time, was dinner. Literally, my mom, five boys and us scattered about the community, she had a dinner bell. And she would ring the dinner bell. And when the dinner bell rang, if you were within earshot, you came running because she was a good cook and lots of food, you know, right? And then as soon as dinner was over, bang, you were out again. And you were gone all day long. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying, right? I did, how many grew up with anything even close to that? See? Now, today, living here, could your kids do that? Right? But, but as a kid who grew up with that, you know, there was value. There was enormous value in making your own decisions, in, in really having to come into your own, and having to do this. I've told this story before, so I'm going to go quickly over this part, but, but again, I want to bring some of this home in a personal way. I've told you before that my dad, uh, he grew up in a difficult circumstance where his parents would go away for months at a time, and it was just him and his brother. Okay, and it was down in Mexico, and, and they would be just alone with some people that were taking care of him and so on. And, and so when my dad was, before he became a Christian, he became a Christian when I was 19 years old. But before he became a Christian, I, I guess you would call him emotionally distant. I didn't feel like he was distant. I, I, you know, my dad played so much catch with me, football. I wanted to be a quarterback, so we would throw the ball for hours. And we would play catch because I love baseball. And we would just play catch. And we'd do this for hours. And he threw the ball so much that I think it was, I think it was mostly me. I know the other brothers too, but he get, got bursitis in his shoulder and couldn't throw overhand anymore. So for years, he was throwing underhand because he couldn't throw overhand anymore. I mean, that, you know, that's not an absent dad, right? But I got to tell you, we didn't talk about intimate stuff and emotional stuff and all that kind of stuff. That's just not who he was. And I don't have any sense of lack of that. I do want to say something very important. When he became a Christian, he completely changed. I mean, absolutely, completely became a different person. You, you talk about becoming a new person. And he was in his 40s. And I mean, all of a sudden, he was, you know, wanting to talk to us and, uh, about stuff of life and emotional things. And I mean, it was just this flip. The, the light switch flipped and the light went on. And my dad was a totally different dad. And from 19 on, I've had a very active 
in my life, involved, helpful, go to him for advice type dad. Whereas before that, I didn't have that. Now, I want to say something about that. When I was in high school in particular, when I was in my early teens and into my teens, that actually was quite difficult for me. I mean, there were many times that, you know, I saw dads that were more sort of teaching you how to shave kind of dads. You know, they were teaching you all kinds of things and stuff. And there was this thing of, I don't remember anything like that particularly, right? And, and I was left to figure things out. But I got to tell you, when I'm still pretty young, I'm sitting in a law school class. There's about 300 kids in the class. The guy's standing in front of the class, and what he says is he says, you know, you guys are here, first day of law school. Congratulations, good law school. You got in. Here's, here's the truth of your lives. All of you basically smart, basically excelled at everything you've ever done. That's why you're here. You've excelled, and you've done well, and so you're here. But he said, I just want to tell you something. There's probably three or four of you in here that are actually your own person. All the rest of you, what you really are is just really good at arguing with your parents. Now think about that. I got to tell you, I sat there and I went, that's my experience with people that are my age. By the time I got to college, I wasn't out of control anymore. I'd already been out of control. I was starting to get my act together again because I'd found my way through a thicket and I discovered who I was and thankfully didn't get thrown in jail. But you, you see what I mean? Not having that parental influence there in those teen years was difficult but profitable. And what I want to present to you, recommend to you, and what I want to suggest to you, this passage is actually talking about that to some extent. It's talking about a way of parenting that isn't helicopter. A helicopter hovering around the kids all the time. Right? That is, it, it, there's a... There is a figure out what life is about aspect to the parenting that is, and, to the, and to the child raising up that's terribly important for the child to actually learn who they are, to actually become who they're going to become and do all this kind of stuff, right? So I, I just want to say, I think that my dad did a pretty extraordinary job right there. Now, I think he did it un unwittingly. I think he didn't do it I think, intentionally. I think it was just who he was. And he just did that, and that's how it worked out. And, you know, God causes all things to work together for good, and that's good. But I just want to suggest to you that when I say these things, I don't think I'm saying the wrong thing. I think I'm actually talking about something that's a biblical principle, if you will. I want you to think about this for just a second, okay? Uh, Jesus was 12 years old. Why is that important? What does 12 years old say, particularly if you're Jewish? Age of accountability. Okay, now technically it's at 13, okay? But do understand something. Biblically, God does not say at 13 you're accountable. What happens is it's somewhere around 12, 13, 14 that a shift starts to happen. Let me show you what that shift is. I'm going to ask one of, my, one of my outstanding dads and one of our outstanding sons to come forward here, okay? So this is Michael and Robert Kelly, all right? And these guys, those of you who know them know this is, you know, great parenting, Great sunning, okay? So here, I want you to, I want you to just, just right here, one step down, one step down, Michael. Okay, now I want to just show you something here, okay? Some of you have heard this before, so I'm, I'm moving along, but hang with me because it's an important foundation for us to build here. Okay, bar mitzvah, okay? And this is at 13 in a Jewish home, but look what it is, bar is son, bat is daughter, and so bar mitzvah is the son whose mitzvah under or subject to the commandment or law. 
See, before the age of accountability, what happens is when God is looking at the son, he looks through the father, through the mother, through the parents. See? In other words, if the son is messing up, until the age of accountability, it's on him. This is the person God's got an issue with. See what I mean? But when age of accountability happens, then something else happens. Now go ahead and turn towards me so you guys don't have to. Now watch. At that point in time, he is brought up to age of accountability, and he's to be, he and I now have a relationship. He's accountable for his actions before me and I, and as God, and I'm working with him and doing this. And look where he is now. He's no longer in the chain of command. He still has influence as an advisor, a consigliere, right? He's, he's doing this advising and consult and that kind of thing. But do understand, in a bar mitzvah family, at this age, the mother is no longer able to tell, is no longer allowed to tell the son what to do. Okay? And the father no longer has the same relationship of telling either. He still consults, he can still work with, and the son, if he has wisdom, which it talks about over and over right in Scripture, it says, if you have wisdom, you will look to counsel. See? But the fact of the matter is, is that the roles have totally changed at this age. So, thank you guys. Thank you for being such a great family. That wasn't too painful, was it, Michael? Okay. He was really nervous. <laughs> All right. There you go, yeah. So what I want you to see is, is when, this age, when this age of accountability happens, see, and this is why it's saying 12. Now watch what's being said here in that passage. What's being said is, is that Jesus is going from Joseph's dad to dad God. See it? He's moving from one area to the next. This is what's starting to happen here. This is why this is cluing us into something. See it? In fact, I, I want to show you something here. See? Look, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Train up a child. What age are we talking about? Birth to age of accountability. See? Then later on, they won't depart. I I'm going to... Let's bring this out a little bit, okay? My dad, he didn't train us up. We're going to talk about that in more detail in one second, but just leave it at that for now. My uncle, which, by the way, please be praying for him because he just, he's 87, I think. He just had some strokes, fell down. Uh, it looks like he could die. Uh, and this just happened. So Jack, Julie and I will probably be driving to Idaho to see him and and that kind of thing this next week and so on. So this is a bad thing. And I love my uncle. I really, really love my uncle. And I'm about to say some things about him that aren't the greatest, but I would, uh, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is, right? No dad's perfect. My uncle was an incredibly accomplished guy, is an incredibly accomplished guy, was Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court clerk, that kind of guy. You know, head of a, you know, big law firm, uh, went off, started, if you drink Merlot, that's because of Bill Yeager. My uncle, okay, he's the one that brought Merlot to the Napa Valley and said it was a grape that was useful. And he just has done all kinds of things in his life. And he's like, so he's one of these bigger-than-life figures. He casts a long shadow. And if I can, you couldn't get two more opposite people than my dad and my uncle. My uncle, it would be very 
Um, he was training his kids because he was, he was training them in what it is to be conservative. He was training them in how to think. He was training them in educational things. He was training them in, and he had a, just a very high standard and everything else and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I look at my cousins. I love my cousins and everything else, but they all bear the marks of a dad who was pushing, if I can put it that way. And again, I, if they're listening, God forgive me, but, you know, we're trying to learn something here, right? And the fact of the matter is they, some of them more so, some of them less so, right? Because some people can handle instruction for a long time. Some people, they really need that time to be on their own and grow and, and so on. And bottom line is, is that, is that you, you see in those kids this thing where, think about it this way. See, if, if they're get, getting to be their own people at 13 years old, in our culture... What do we do to recognize a change in status? Let me ask it this way. As a parent, when are you, quote, unquote, training your child to be on their own? When do you start doing that, really? Of birth, of course, but let's be more real. Pretty much when they start hitting teen years, right? So right about the time that they're actually not under your training anymore is right about the time we start training. And then we wonder why our kids are chafing under our training. What needed to be happening all along was we needed to be in a Jewish family. Bar mitzvah is not just a day that shows up and then they say, hey, son, did you know what your bar mitzvah is? Oh, what's a bar mitzvah? When you are born, the parents are working you to a day when it will be between you and God. And they are training you that entire time in the things of God. Now, what we do as parents is we, we, we are trained up, and here's what we mean by that. Teach them all the things that I know so that they'll be like me or, you know, accept the bad stuff and then they won't do the bad stuff I did and they'll do the good stuff I did and then they'll be better than me and that's what training means. I want to suggest to you an entirely different way to understand that word training. I think you can talk to your kids about being a conservative or being a liberal. I think you can talk to your kids about academic things. I think you should be doing that, right? That's part of life, right? That's part of being in community. That's part of talking. In the end, people have to make their own choices about all these things, Right? But there is one thing that I think we're supposed to be training them in. Really training them in. Think about what training means. It doesn't just mean talking at them. It means bringing them through a journey and a process. What are we supposed to be training them in? How to have a relationship with God. Not what the Bible says. Here's what parents do all the time when they train their kids. Bible quiz games. Do you know your chapters of your Bible? Can you say them front to back? Have you memorized this many scriptures? Have you done it? I think all those things are wonderful. I don't think they're a problem. But I tell you what, you can do all those things, and if you don't teach them relationship, they're not going to hold on to all those things. But think about it this way. See, I can train my kids in the way that I believe and think about the world, and when they get older, they're still going to make their choices about it, and they're free to do so, and there's nothing compelling them to go any other direction than what they want to go. But if I train, if I, if I model and mentor a relationship with Christ, guess what I've done now? I've brought them into what it is to have a relationship with Christ. And even when they start making their own decisions when they're on their own, as God is pursuing them, they'll know what a relationship with Christ looks like, feels like, what it is. You see it? Why don't they depart from it? They don't depart from it because God is always pursuing them. And if you've trained them up, if you've modeled 
and mentored what it is to be in relationship with a real living God. When they get on their own, they'll have that reality in their minds and nothing else in the world will satisfy. They may try other things, but it'll always be in the back of their mind. It'll always be in their heart of what it feels like to be in relationship with a God who loves you. You see it? That's why they don't depart. Because we're bringing them into something that is ongoing, past us. That's what training them up means. Model. Mentor. Now I want to say, in Jesus' life, I think we see this happening. Deeply. See, why did Jesus, why was he a good guy? Why was he a good guy? Here's how we think. Because he's God. <laughs> You know what I mean, right? Now I want to say, yeah, sure, okay, fine. But I do want to say that when we look at his parenting, when we look at the parents of him, we actually see everything I'm talking about right now happening. We see it right here in this passage. Watch this. Your father and I have been frantic, okay? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? That's, that could be said insolently, right? You're just my stepdad, <laughs> Right? That's not what he said. The very next verse says, he went home after this and was obedient. So he was not an unruly child. He is making a distinction here, an important distinction, the one I've been making with this bar mitzvah thing. See? He's recognizing that there's a transition happening. And guess what? Is Jesus the only one that's supposed to be recognizing that there's a transition happening? I mean, he was the son of God. He's the only one that can say, God is my father. That's not true. Every one of us that knows him says, God is my father. And at that bar mitzvah age, precisely what is supposed to be happening is, is we're supposed to be moving from our earthly biological father or stepdad or whatever, whatever male role figure it was that filled that role. And we're supposed to be relocating on the God who is the ultimate father. We're all supposed to be doing this. And again, I want to say, I think his parents did this well. Look at, well, look at the evidence here. See, they didn't understand what he meant. That, doesn't, that, that is insinuating right here. Why didn't they understand that? Well, they're not, you know, they're not perfect parents. <laughs> they don't get what's really going on. But nonetheless, here's what they are doing. When Jesus' parents had filled the requirements of the law of the Lord, what does that mean? They're religious. Are they Southern Baptist religion where they do the religious holidays and they don't really have it in their heart? Is that what they do? When it says every year they go to Jerusalem for the Passover, were they just going for the party? Don't we see in Mary a woman who continues to treasure all of these things up in her heart? Don't we see in Joseph? An angel comes to him and says, your wife's pregnant. You two have never had intercourse and your wife's pregnant. He wanted to put her away. Right? Obviously, whatever story she had. <laughs> but what happened was instead, he obeys. The angel said, this is from God. Stay. So he stays. Later on, hey, there's going to be a problem. Herod's going to start killing babies. Flee to Egypt. He flees to Egypt. This is not when it's easy to travel. They're alone, and they're going to a foreign country that doesn't like Jewish people. This is not an unrisky thing that he does, but he obeys. 
what we have here is evidence of two parents that are actually raising their child, training their child in the things of God and godliness very well. I want to say, when the scripture says things like, three days later they finally find him in the temple sitting among the religious leader, listening to them, asking questions, all who heard him understanding and answers. When we hear that, when we hear that, it's natural for us to think the reason why he had such amazing answers is because he's God. And we forget that the whole thing about kenosis, this word in Greek that means the emptying of himself, of his godly attributes to live precisely as one of us. We forget that that was true in his bringing up too. How did he know so much about scripture? Was it just because he was God? I think there's something to an understanding of the Father, however he got it, but was it only that? Or did he have great parenting? Had they taught him the things of God, not the things of religion? That's what they were tied up in. That's what they were so blown away by those answers were. Because it's like he actually understands the God that we're talking about, not just the rules, not just the regs. You see it? In fact, when we get to this place where he says, he grew up healthy and strong, he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. I think that we can now say something with a fair degree of certainty, which is, well done, Joseph and Mary. Well done. Good and faithful servants. You trained up your child in a way that he sought wisdom, that he sought the things of God that he was, you see what I'm saying? You, you think? Am I, am I okay here? When I look at my life and I read that scripture, I'm going to say what's not true and then I'm going to say what's true. I, I so wish that my dad had known Christ when he was younger so that he could have raised me in the things of the Lord because I like to think about myself that I would have learned to love the Lord when I was very young and that I would have been this perfect Christian and that I would have come into my calling at 19 instead of 40 and that all, and you know I'd have been so much better at this job than I am now and you know and all of these things and I have this tremendous regret in me. I've told you what's not true. I'm not saying I never have those thoughts but I understand that it would be I understand that it would be from the pit of hell because the fact is I was so rebellious. If I'd have had parents like that, I probably still wouldn't be with the Lord. You know what I mean? Because I just was so on my own. I was so independent, just naturally. And, you know, there's no guarantees, right? There's principles. And you work them and you count on God and you rely on him and all that kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know if I'd have been wise. I don't know if I'd have been more godly or less godly or anything. I don't know. What I do know is, I know that God took me through a journey. And all the bad things that I did are being used just as much as all the good things that I learned. And that I stand here as one of those who loves God with a passion and a fullness that I don't know quite if I'd have known if I hadn't gone through all those dark places. And I don't ever want to tell anybody to go through dark places so you'll love God more because that's really stupid. But God can take that and use it for his glory. So I don't regret it. But I do want to say if my dad was sitting here, he would tell you. I do. I wish I had known God. I wish I had brought my kids up knowing God. Now, he's proud of us. 
I know my dad's proud of me. A, because he says it a lot, and B, because he actually seems to mean it. <laughs> right? Doesn't, doesn't appear to be something he has to write down and remind himself to say to me so that it might help some. Right? You, you catch the drift? You catch where we're going here? There is this thing you can't regret because God's in control and God's bigger than all the stuff. Whether you knew him or not knew him or anything else, but the fact of the matter is what we're talking about is good parenting, good fatherhood here. And the thing, that we're, the thing that we're really discovering here, I think, in a very deep way is there is this unbelievable tension between letting kids be on their own so that they grow up and training them. Being in their lives in a way that being in their lives in a way that is helping them, and bringing them to new places. And I want to say, I think, I think honestly, it's almost impossible to walk that road pro per properly. To be a perfect trainer. I, I, by the way, if you want to know how to do that, I think there's a really excellent way to do it, and it's real simple. It's this: understand that bar mitzvah age of accountability thing, and understand something. You have about 13 years to truly train. Why? Because they actually like you then. <laughs> right? They look up to you. They think you're cool. You know what I mean? I'm not quite sure where we are in our thing, so I need to just check. Yeah, okay. I, I, I told Kevin Prowlis, uh, whose name rises. I was supposed to, anyway. But I, I'll tell Kevin Prowlis, I'm going to talk about country music, so you know, just bear with me, because he's fully convinced that the fact that I listen to country music has taken a good 20 points off of my IQ and certainly takes me, <laughs> and certainly takes me well out of the realm of any possibility of hipsterism, okay? And I just want to tell you, I think 57 takes me out of any possible range of hipsterism, okay? So I'm cool with that, all right? I don't have a problem. I was actually going to play the actual lyrics, but I couldn't find the audio clip just right. But I want to say, Roddy Atkins writes this, and, and this is a typical corny country song. So many of you who listen to country have heard it because it got pretty big. And the reason why it got big, you'll find out in two seconds. But it goes like this. You know, he's saying, here I am, I'm driving along with my son, and he's in his booster seat, and he's got some stuff in his lap, and he's drinking and eating his stuff. And, you know, we go through a green light, and it turns green, and I start to pull forward, and this car comes, and I have to hit the brakes, and then everything spills, and the kid yells out the S word. And the dad goes, son, where'd you learn a word like that? And the son says... He says, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. You got to say it with a twang or it doesn't work, okay? All right? But you see it? And so there's about two or three verses like this where, you know, the dad does he, oh my gosh, I'm just this horrible dad. My son's been watching me and I'm a cussler and I'm a this and I'm a that. And it's just terrible. But at the very end of the song, he comes walking by his kid's room and the kid is kneeling by the side of his bed and praying. And he walks in and he says, son, where'd you learn to do that? And he says, I've been watching you, dad. <laughs> you know, I'm your buckaroo. I want to be just like you. I'm telling you, wait till you have kids, Kevin. And then you listen to that song, you will not be able to not cry. Okay? I'm telling you, it may be corny as all get out, but it makes you cry. Okay? And it is corny, by the way. It is sappy. It's that sappy country. There's better country than that out there. But that's usually about breaking up, so whatever. 
or a dog or a truck, okay? <laughs> did you ever hear that there's Brad Paisley did a song and he said, if you play a country song backward, what is it? Do, do it, say it. Who's got it? You get your dog back, you get your truck back, you get your wife back, you know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> get your house back, yeah. There's this tension. There's this tension. God has given us a model of how to do it. He has said, for 13 years, your kids actually look up to you, and they want to be like you. And if you will model what it is to be like you, and I've got to tell you what, I think the biggest tragedy, I, I say this, and it's probably not true, because I, I, have I have a slight tendency towards hyperbole, and when I say slight, that would be hyperbole, okay? <laughs> or that would be a lack of hyperbole, because what I should say, I'm always hyperbole, okay? And even then, I wouldn't be right, you know, because everybody I've ever met is the best person that's ever been. But... <laughs> I kind of actually think that. That's what's funny about it, okay? But, but, but here's where I am. The, the, the issue is, I forgot, I'm sorry, I just totally spaced. But, where was I? Help me. What? Yeah, I know on hyperbole, but that's not helping me. You get your car back and your wife back. That's what you got out of the sermon. That's the only thing we got out of the sermon. Is I get my car back and my wife back and my Bay Country backwards. Okay, go ahead, go. <laughs> I don't know. What we're talking about, yeah, for 13 years, if you model a relationship with Christ, they want to be like that. Now, you can keep modeling it after that. But they got to start making their own decisions. And you've got to let them make the decisions. And here's the, there it is, it's the tragedy of Christianity today is the number of Christian parents that are not modeling a relationship with Christ in their home. I'm telling you, we talk about fatherlessness in homes as being a big problem. I think it is a big problem. But I'll tell you what, just as big is the number of Christians that are not doing the easiest thing in the world. Have your own relationship with Christ and model and mentor that with your kids. That's so easy when they like you. And then, and this is hard, you've got to get the heck out of the way. You've got to extricate yourself from the line. Because the more you're in it, the more they'll resent you being in it, and they're supposed to. And this is at junior high, folks. Because, see, we're all thinking I get to do that at high school. And then we can't figure out why our high schools aren't doing what we're trying to train them. And it's because the training's over. They're now making their own decisions, and they resent the fact that you're inserting yourself in this thing. See, watch this. God's the best dad ever, right? God's the father. The best father. If you didn't have a father, you got a father. If you had a bad father, you got a good one. If you had a great father, you have a better one. God is the Father. Now, here's what God has that we don't. God ushers forth his Holy Spirit, and he puts him inside of you to guide you and help you. And the Holy Spirit is the most brilliant person, God help me, ever, that perfectly balances a training and a time of training with letting you do it on your own. 
people have a relationship with God and they think that God is wagging their finger and shaking at them and doing all this kind of stuff, and that is not God. That is religion, and that is some falsehood of what God is, and that's a perversion that Satan has brought into the world about how God is, and that's not who he is. God is unbelievable about training us up in things, but then letting us make real choices. And then no matter what those choices are, being able to take those and cause them to work together for good for those who love them, they're called according to his purpose. Right? The Holy Spirit does that in the most miraculous way. And what we say as fathers is, is you know what, I could extricate myself from that situation if... I could do what the Father does. I could do what God does. If I could send my Holy Spirit into them to help them. But you know what? If you sent your Holy Spirit into them, what would they be like? Yeah, bad. <laughs> right? That's not good. Only God can send his Holy Spirit into them, but guess what? He's sending his Holy Spirit on your behalf. I'm telling you, if you really get a hold of this, if you really get a hold of nurturing, training, modeling, mentoring up until the time that they're 13, and that's bringing them into relationship with the Holy Spirit, and then you actually trust that God is actually going to take care of it, and you extricate yourself, and you think to yourself, I need, I cannot, I must not get in the way of the Holy Spirit and my child's journey. I can advise, I can help, I can do all this kind of stuff, but it is their journey and I stand by them in love throughout, even if I have to make some hard decisions. You see it? And the reason why I'm saying, and I think what God's really trying to get across to us today is, trust me. <laughs> I'm that good father. I can actually take care of this for you. I can actually send my Holy Spirit and raise them up in the way that they should go. I can help keep them in the way that I would have them go. Better than you ever could have. I think we go from covering to intercessor. I think we go from the direct influence to the cheerleader. to the one who's raising them up and telling them great things, casting vision for them, letting them do what they want with it. We serve an awesome God. We don't actually parent like that because we just have to get in there because we're worried. And God's okay with our worry. He's just saying, don't take it out on them. Bring it to me. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you that you take every, every dad, every would-be dad, every mom, every would-be mom, every friend, every person in this place, and that you would embed and impregnate us with, these, with this principle, this pattern that we would become those who were walking that dynamic between training but understanding that they have free will and they need to make these choices themselves and grow into it themselves the way that they would. That we can be alongside and that we can be loving and that honestly for a lot of us that we could just trust you enough. God, let us model the best relationship with you which is genuine trust. Teach us how to do that. 
Thank you, God. Make us great dads. Make us great moms. Make us great friends. Make us great helpmeets one to another. In Jesus' name.